Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. This episode of Your Torah is dedicated by Rabbi Dr. Carmela Abraham, in memory of her mother, Luvina Abraham. The moon lit our way. Our guide had told us that we would not need our flashlights, and she was right. My husband and I were hiking through the Judean desert on a moonlight tour sponsored by the Israel Society for the Protection of Nature. This was back in the day when it was safe to take such excursions. We walked through the Jericho Valley, and our path was illuminated solely by the full moon. In fact, the tours could only be scheduled in the middle of the month during a full moon. As we climbed and descended to and from different ridges, walking through ancient ruins and fortresses, I was struck by the beauty of the terrain, sketched in moonlight. Welcome to Jofa UK's Your Torah Podcast Project. My name is Rabah Dr. Carmela Abraham, and I recently graduated from Yeshivat Maharat. In addition to my full-time job as a physician working in pharma, I also work as a community educator. I'm most happy when I'm teaching Torah, and even happier when I'm learning Torah from my students and the communities I engage with. Today, I will be discussing the tractate of Rosh Hashanah, which is all about the moon, but not the full moon that I encountered on our hike. Rather, an earlier phase of the moon called the crescent moon, which we will discuss a little later. There are four chapters in this tractate. The first two chapters discuss the subject of Kiddush HaChodesh, the proclamation or sanctification of the new moon. And the last two chapters deal with the laws of blowing the shofar on Rosh Hashanah and the laws of the three blessings recited during the Musaf prayer of Rosh Hashanah as well. The tractate's name of Rosh Hashanah likely originated from the very first Mishnah of the very first chapter. This Mishnah starts by delineating the four different New Years or Rosh Hashanim that occur in a single year. The name may also be derived from the fact that the latter chapters focus specifically on the holiday of Rosh Hashanah. Today, I would like to discuss the tractate description of the proclamation or consecration of the new moon, Kiddush HaChodesh. But first, some background. Central to Judaism is the Jewish calendar. Unlike the Gregorian calendar, the Jewish calendar is lunar. Jewish months and holidays are based on a 29-and-a-half-day lunar cycle, during which the moon orbits the earth. Since it is impossible to have part of the day belong to the month that is ending and part of the day belong to the month that is beginning, it was decided that a month should consist of a number of days, not hours. Thus, one month is therefore full, malay, consisting of 30 days, and one month is defective, chaser, consisting of 29 days. And certainly across the Jewish year, you will notice that there are months that are 29 days long, alternating with months that are 30 days long, and even sometimes consecutive months being both full or defective. Having said this, the Jewish calendar must also be coordinated with the solar calendar so that certain holidays fall during a particular season. For example, Passover, also called Chag HaAviv, must occur in the spring. Shavuot, called the festival of the first fruits of the wheat harvest, 
must fall during the harvest time, and Sukkot, which marks the ingathering festival, must occur in the fall. To compensate for the fact that the lunar year is 11 days shorter than the solar calendar year, which is equivalent to a seven-month differential over the course of 19 years, an extra month Adar Aleph is added in some years. In the 4th century, Hillel II established this fixed calendar based on his mathematical and astronomical calculations. This calendar is still in use today, standardizing the length of months and the addition of months over the course of a 19-year cycle so that the lunar calendar realigns with the solar years. The calendar is so central to Judaism that it is the first commandment given to us as a nation while the Jews were still in Egypt. Let's read the verse from Exodus chapter 12, verse 2. HaChodesh hazel lachem rosh chodashim rishon hu lachem hashana. This month shall mark for you the beginning of the months. It shall be the first of the months of the year for you. Explains Rashi in his commentary on the words HaChodesh Hazeh this month. God showed Moses the moon in its renewal and said to him, When the moon renews itself, it will be the beginning of the month for you. Moses was perplexed about the precise determination of the reappearance of the moon and did not know what size moon must appear for it to be fit to be sanctified. Therefore, God showed him with the finger, so to speak, the moon in the sky, and said to him, See it like this and sanctify it. What did God show Moses? What did the moon look like? Our verse, as explained by Rashi, clearly implies that there was something tangible for Moses to see. To understand this, let us look closer at the lunar cycle. The lunar month begins at the exact moment when the moon begins its new cycle. The molad is the time of the moon's birth. There is a point in the moon's orbit in which it is positioned directly between the earth and the sun, making it invisible to anyone standing on earth's surface. The molad occurs when the moon has moved far enough from this position that a thin crescent of its illuminated surface as reflected light from the sun becomes visible, marking the start of a new Jewish month. This is the visual answer to our question, God showed Moses the crescent of the moon and pointed out that when this particular shaped moon is seen, then that will determine the new month. And though the rabbis knew how to calculate the time of the molad, they learned from this specific verse that the new month must be fixed and determined by observation based on the testimony of witnesses. In fact, this was the procedure for declaring the new moon for centuries before Hillel II established the standardized calendar. And from an astronomical perspective, the phases of the moon make sense. As we know, the moon orbits the Earth while planet Earth orbits the sun. The new moon occurs when the sun is behind the moon and we can't see it at all. This is not the Jewish definition of molad. In the next phase, the moon continues its orbit and is called the waxing crescent stage. The thin sliver of the new moon is seen, which is less than a quarter illuminated. This is the molad. And this is what the witnesses were expected to report back to the Jewish high courts, the sighting of a sliver of moon, the moon's crescent. 
The next phase of the moon is called the first quarter, where you see exactly half of the moon, followed by the waxing gibbous, where more than half of the moon is illuminated, and finally, by mid-month, the full moon, where all of the moon is illuminated by the sun. The moon will now continue its orbit, decreasing in size, to finally when it is only a waning crescent, and finally back to an invisible new moon. And the cycle starts again. I invite you all to step outside, look outside your window, go into your backyard, look at the moon and be present with it across the month to see its various phases. It is magnificent. I want to look more closely at the procedure by which a new moon was declared as described specifically in chapter two of Tractate Rosh Hashanah. Some points to note before we get started. The Mishnahs in this tractate will toggle between how the moon was consecrated during temple times and how the moon was consecrated after the destruction of the temple. After the destruction, the Sanhedrin was relocated from Jerusalem to Yavne, a city on the Mediterranean coast. I would also like to point out the following. The day the witnesses would look at the sky would be the 30th day of the month. If they saw the new moon, they would go to the courts to testify, and the courts would declare that day as the beginning of the new month, the first day. If, however, the moon was not observed on the 30th, or the witnesses didn't make it in time, the past month was declared malay, or full with 30 days, and the first day was declared on the next day as the new month. Let's walk through the steps of the consecration of the new moon. I will read through sections of the Mishnah, which are rich in detailing how this was carried out. First, the new moon is sighted, and male witnesses in pairs of two would make their way to the Sanhedrin or high court in Jerusalem during temple times or in the times post-destruction to the city of Yavne. The court hears their testimony and examines the witnesses. Let's read through chapter 2, Mishnah 6, that describes how the witnesses were questioned. Ketzad bodkin et ha'edin. How were the witnesses examined? The pair that came first were examined first. The judges would bring in the elder of them and say to him, Say to us, how did you see the moon? Was it with the crescent turned towards the sun or away from the sun? To the north or to the south of the sun? What was its elevation and towards which side was it inclining? And how wide was it? If he, the witness, said, The crescent was turned towards the sun, he did not say anything of value and is dismissed. Afterwards, they would bring in the second witness and examine him. If their words were found to match, their testimony stood and was accepted. And then all the other pairs of witnesses would be asked questions in outline form, not because the judges would need them, but only that they did not leave with bitter spirits in order that the witnesses would be accustomed to come and to testify in the future. The witnesses would be queried about the exact location of the moon, especially vis-a-vis -vis its location in relationship to the sun. What is interesting to me is that the rabbis were very aware that the moon was illuminated by the sun and are querying around this very fact. We also have evidence from Philo, the Jewish historian who wrote in the first century records, at the time of the new moon, the sun begins to illuminate the moon with a light which is visible to the outward senses, and then she displays her own beauty to the beholders. 
Also of note in this Mishnah, the rabbis take a very sensitive approach to making sure to speak to all the witnesses to ensure that they would keep coming back to testify. Post-destruction in the court of Rabban Gamliel in Yavna, chapter 2, Mishnah 8, tells us the following. Rabban Gamliel had on a tablet and on the walls of his loft various drawings of the moon, which he showed to simple witnesses and said, Was it like this drawing that you saw or like the other one? When reading this, I wondered, did Rabban Gamliel have pictures of the waxing crescent adjacent to the first quarter? next to the waxing gibbous, and finally the full moon? Either way, Rabban Gamliel's diagrams most likely made it easier for the witnesses to describe what they saw, especially if they were unable to answer the questions listed in the prior Mishnah. Once the witnesses' testimony was accepted, the Sanhedrin would declare the new month. Chapter 2, Mishnah 7. Rosh Beidin Omer Mikudash Vakola Amonim Acharav Mikudash Mikudash the head of the court then said, The new month is consecrated. And all the people answered after him, Consecrated, consecrated. Whether the new moon had been seen at the time, or whether it had not been seen at its time, it was consecrated. The head of the court would announce Mikudash, and the mass of people gathered would respond, Mikudash, Mikudash. I imagine that this was said ceremoniously, with all of the gravitas that that moment called for, the declaration of a new moon, and the beginning of the preparations for the forthcoming holidays. This ceremony was proclaimed on the 30th day whether or not the moon was seen by witnesses. The understanding being, if there were witnesses who testified on the 30th day, then that day was considered the first of the month. And if there was no witnesses, and the new moon was not seen in its proper time, the Kiddush HaChodesh, or consecration of the new moon, was then effected automatically on the 31st day, or the next day, as the beginning of the new month. When Rosh Chodesh was declared, the court agents would light fires on top of mountaintops to let everyone know it was a new month. As each town saw a lit fire, they would light a fire on its mountaintop so that the news would spread. It is estimated that it took a total of 20 to 25 minutes for the bonfire communication to reach Babylonia from the first beacon in Israel. This system was ultimately changed towards the end of the Second Temple period because the Samaritans were deliberately lighting on the wrong day in order to confuse the Jewish community. Instead, at that time, the Sanhedrin decided to send out messengers who would run from Jerusalem to the outlying communities. The entire procedure of the witnesses providing testimony lasted till the last head of the Sanhedrin, Hillel II, instituted the fixed calendar based on his astronomical calculations of the Molad, as I had discussed before. I would like to finish with reading the description of the lighting of the torches on the hilltops. Chapter 2, Mishnah 3 and 4. Hayu masi'in masu'ot. How did they light the flares? They brought long poles of cedar wood and reeds and shemin wood and ships of flax. And he, the court agent, tied together with a rope, all of them, and he went to the top of a hill and he set fire to them. And he waved to and fro and he raised it and lowered it until he saw his fellow doing likewise on the top of a second hill and likewise on top of a third hill. And from where did they light these flares? 
from the Mount of Olives to Sartava, and from Sartava to Grofina, and from Grofina to Havran, and from Havran to Beit Biltin, and from Beit Biltin, they did not move from there, but rather the agents would wave the flaming brands to and fro, upward and downward, until he could see the whole diaspora in front of him, lit up like a bonfire. Ad shehayaro kol ha'esh. Rabbi Pinchas Kehati, Zechrono Livracha, described in more detail these locations mentioned in our Mishnah. And of course, if you would like, you can Google the map of signal fires that were sent out from Jerusalem, and you will find the exact locations on a map of ancient Israel online. So Rabbi Pinchas Kehati writes, Mount Olives to Sartiba. This is a prominent hill in Samaria on the border of the Jordan Valley, facing Mount Gilad on the east bank of the Jordan. And from Sartiba to Agrippina, Mount Kohava to the extremity of the eastern lower Galilee. And from Agrippina to Havran, a high hill at the extremity of the eastern bank of the Jordan, present-day Syria. And from Havran to Beit Biltin, this is a hill located between the eastern boundary of Israel and the boundary of Babylonia. I think from these locations, you already have an idea of the geographical extent of the Jewish community and population centers. The Gemara will elaborate that the diaspora refers to the city of Pumpedita in Babylonia. Each person would take a torch and go up to his roof to publicize the consecration of the new moon, and that people on the big built-in side would know that the people in Babylonia had seen their signal fires and that they were continuing to spread the word across the diaspora. Morid In many ways, this entire procedure of the consecration of the new month also ensured the centrality of the Sanhedrin in what Rabbi Dr. Avraham Walfish describes as designed to reinforce the high court status as the people's spiritual center. He comments, The beacons were not only intended as a form of rapid communication, but also as an impressive visual link between the Jews mired in exile and the center of spiritual authority and inspiration in Jerusalem. For me, this image of the entire land of Israel lit up with torches across the country, conveying the new month is a powerful one. We see the Jewish people united for the singular purpose of maintaining the Jewish calendar and ensuring that the holidays and fast days are kept at their proper time. Learning these Mishnahs reminded me of my hike through the Valley of Jericho and its surrounding hills, and I imagined what it would have been like to witness the entire area lit up with beacons. It could only have been a holy moment. I can't think of a more beautiful symbol of Jewish peoplehood, uniting Jews in Israel with those Jews in the diaspora, the image of the Medurat Ha'esh, the eternal lasting beacon of fire, lighting up the skies for the purpose of performing God's holy mitzvot. Thank you for studying Tractate Rosh Hashanah with me today. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK. In collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying Your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag YourTorah.